All right, and welcome back. Thank you for joining us once again for Perspectives on Transparency and Peer Review. I'm Michael Casp from J&J Editorial. I am once again joined by my panel, uh, Tom Lang of Tom Lang Communications and Training International. Tom, thanks for being here. Glad to be here. I'm also joined by Allison Leung, Editorial Manager for PLOS Pathogens and PLOS Neglected Tropical Diseases. Allison, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm also joined by Dr. David B. Resnick of the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences, where he is bioethicist and IRB chair. Dr. Resnick, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And Dr. Pedro T. Ramirez, uh, who is the Distinguished Professor in Ovarian Cancer Research and Director of Minimally Invasive Surgical Research and Education at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. Dr. Ramirez, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Michael. Great. Well, now let's jump into our next topic, which is, will transparent peer review benefit the public by making science and the scientific literature more understandable? Or, well, I don't know if I necessarily like that. Uh, will it benefit the public in general? I don't know if it'll make it more understandable, but do you feel that that more transparency will have a benefit to the public, or, or, or will the benefits be primarily limited to, to researchers? Um, let's start with uh, Tom. Tom, what do you think? Do, do you think transparent peer review will benefit the public directly or indirectly? I think so. Um, indirectly because I think in, in general, and we're clearly talking in general here, is that um, you know evidence-based medicine is literature-based medicine. Uh, removing or minimizing biases in the publication process should, in fact, minimize biases in the evidence that eventually result in clinical decision making. So I think that, you know, better medical care is sort of the desired outcome of all of this. Um, I think that it might also have an effect in, uh, in improving the public's understanding and trust of science in general, of the scientific process, uh, just knowing that the process is uh, transparent. Um, you know, we, we know that medical journals are read by all sorts of people for whom they were not written, right? I mean, you know, lawyers, public relations people, um, uh, patients, you know, the whole, whole range of things. Um, but knowing that they can see a process, that this went through peer review, the peer review had these characteristics, perhaps the reviewers signed their names, whatever, and all of that, I think that that's the other general consequence that increased transparency would have is it would in, in general I think increase the credibility that science has in in producing results I think that's great and and I want to hear some thoughts from dr. Resnick about um, if, if you think transparency can increase the trust in the scientific community as as Tom just alluded to Uh, I agree that it has, if it improves the reliability and objectivity of scientific research, then, um, yeah, it has, the, certainly that's what the public wants to be able to trust. Um, 
I guess I have some concerns about how the public doesn't really have a very good understanding of science. And one of the public's worst understandings of science is how to evaluate scientific evidence. The public doesn't have a good grasp that evidence accumulates over time and that some studies come out and they show one thing and then another study comes out and it shows the opposite thing and the scientific community has to weigh all the evidence. And um, when you open up the peer review process to the public, you make that sort of back and forth and that critical dialogue that you have, <laughs> excuse me, in science, you know, more transparent, possibly uh, confusing the public even more and leading them to even doubt science even more than they already do. So that's one of my concerns. Yeah, I think that's valid. Um, as you said, the, the scientific process alone is really cloudy enough. Um, so it could be that just adding more par particles to the atmosphere may um, actually be a detriment to, to those who, who may not um, be sophisticated in their reading uh, of the evidence. Um, I mean, let me, let me throw in here, like suppose you have a really highly disputed paper on some topic like global warming, and then you have all these positive reviews of the paper, but there's a negative review that was published, and then critics, uh, you know, on whatever side of the global warming issue, lawyers or whoever, people with political angles, seize on that uh, negative review the paper got to try to undermine the paper, even though the paper had several positive reviews. So. There, there, there is a potential for that to happen when you really open things up to the public. So something that could be good potentially for science could be like a PR nightmare potentially. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Allison, what do you think? Do you think that um, that uh, there is a benefit uh, of, of transparency to the public? And do you feel like it outweighs... Uh, some of the the negatives that, that Tom and, and Dr. Resnick have brought up. I think that having the reviews open to the public may, it may add kind of some cloudiness to what the conversation is. But I think as a society, we should understand maybe this is the larger question. Um, we're very used to just getting like a one tidbit piece of knowledge and then holding onto that and believing that it's true forever. And that isn't really what academia is about. It's about asking questions and getting those questions answered and then asking the questions again and going through that iterative process. And so while that may, having the open transparency and open peer review may add to that, I think that really as a society, we should be focusing on like why we need to hold on to that one tidbit of knowledge and why having those dissenting opinions and having the extra knowledge that went into the decision um, is going to cloud that. So I think that there are definitely risks. Um, I think they're definitely positives too. Um, I think that having the dissenting opinions and having the full view can be helpful um, and may be important for the public to see that it isn't just, yes, this is good definitively forever. Um, and that there may be a question that comes up later that might may have us you know, question the, those results or have another study come about that overturns those results. Absolutely. And, and Dr. Ramirez, I want to throw this to you. Um, as someone who, um, I guess, interacts with the public um, as, as a physician, do you feel like um, 
I don't know, maybe you could have a patient who could try and, and look at some, uh, some articles uh, about maybe a procedure or, or a condition. And, and do, you, do you think that, that you know, transparency around review might confuse them or, 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 or might help them actually understand a little bit more about why you made the decision you did? Yes, I think, and, and I do see this quite frequently, um, conceptually and potentially, as was mentioned before, this could be of benefit, but I think in reality, um, I agree that uh, this would probably cloud the subject even more, confuse uh, the patients and, and, and the general population, and also lead to that element that Allison was saying of just taking on that, that segment of a statement uh, by somebody who has a very loud voice and then all of a sudden completely driving the, the point opposite of what the scientist or even you know the, 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 the journal or the author meant to to imply with the uh, with the interpretation of their results. So I think that you know although conceptually one would think well this would be of great benefit uh, it, it may be very very confusing to to the public. Um, uh, you know, and how and how these points are interpreted. Yeah, I agree with that. I, w- I want to know from each of you. Um, so, so if you want to start thinking about this, but I'll put this to you first, Doctor Ramirez. Do you think there is a way to clarify things for, for people? Is is there something that can be done um, to give uh, the public? Um, a perspective or an opinion that that they can trust and that will kind of condense or distill sort of the general beliefs and knowledge of scientists in in, in a field. Is there a way that that we can inform the public that may not necessarily be reviews of peer-reviewed papers? Sure. I mean, I think that, you know, that there's a process and I think some journals are doing this and actually some societies in their general uh, annual meetings are doing this and where they basically call it uh, a distillation of the uh, of the data. Uh, because obviously now at society meetings they know that there's a great deal of journalists there, um, you know, waiting to take the next new uh, finding to to their um, to their uh, uh, newspapers, and uh, and what what is being done is that it's sort of like interpreted for the lay public uh, from the legitimacy of the societies or the legitimacy of the of the journal. Uh, and basically, general statements are made about important topics. So, for example, the Society of Gynecological Oncology, in their annual meeting, they usually will have, um, uh, for their main plenary, uh, they really um, uh, make an effort to make sure that the message, that the manuscripts that is being presented, or the, the, the study that is being presented, it's interpreted as it should uh, to the lay public media. That's great. And, and that was what I was wondering. So I really like that answer. Um, I want to throw this over to Dr. Resnick now and, and, and see what you think about ways to distill it for the public. Is journalism the, uh, the right channel or, or can you think of another way to, to kind of get this information out to the layperson? Well, I, I think journalism is the, um, is definitely a, a good way of doing this. Um, you know, I do a lot of interviews in my job as a bioethicist, and one thing that I've seen an increase of is um, 
journalism with a particular slant bloggers and all kinds of webs web-based journalism and you know the journalists that are out there it's not the new york times anymore or anything it's there's just a whole zoo of people out there that interview you with a particular slant so um you know i think when you're trying to communicate with the public you have to keep that in mind and try to stay on message and be aware of what your the journalists that are interviewing you, what their agenda is, because they often do have one. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so, so maybe if, if a society or, or a group of scientists really want to get a message out, they might have to do it directly. So um, would you agree with that? that, that because there is so much slant everywhere and, and, and you know, a reader can kind of pick whatever uh, publication fits their worldview, um, that if, if, scientists really want to get the clear message out maybe they just have to do it directly um so so yeah i'll throw this over to tom um what do you think do you think scientists should make more of an effort in communicating directly or or do you feel like there are other channels that that can uh, suit this purpose well it's a, a common topic at um cse conferences and over the years i think there's a general sense that uh, researchers do need to be more forthcoming to the public from the standpoint of just good public relations for medical research, public health research, and so forth. Um, to relate this back to the current topic, traditionally peer review or published publishing in a peer reviewed journal was considered to be the beginning of the conversation about a particular piece of research. It's not the end result, I mean, it's the last stage of publication is the final stage of research, but it's the point that now the paper is published, now you can talk about it publicly. If you um, violate that, this is the so-called Engelfinger-Relman rule that the New England Journal set up years ago, which says we're not going to publish your article if you've gone to the press first or if you've submitted it, it's been published in another journal first. So I think there's a, a, a time uh, in the continuum here where public discussion and promotion of research is certainly very critical, especially with important public health issues within infectious diseases and, and chemical toxicities and so forth. And um, I place for researchers to have a part in that. I think, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and I'm talking to the editorial manager of PLOS Pathogens and PLOS Neglected Tropical Diseases. Allison, what do you think about uh, communicating uh, with the public? And, and I'm curious about PLOS's efforts as far as, mm-hmm. as trying to distill this information, especially for, for concerns, like Tom mentioned, for, for big public health concerns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think having summaries that are digestible to the public is important to have. And the PLOS article we do have a paragraph author summary of the findings of the paper, which is easier for the public to digest. Um, another thing that we do is we do we have a press program at PLOS where the journals each get a press release a week on the research that comes out, which helps us get ahead of some of the stories that the press might pick up on a particular paper that we have, and they may take the conclusions that kind of run with it. If we are doing our own press releases, we're able to better kind of control what the story is and release those press releases ourselves. We have writers that do them, the authors are involved in that process, or editors are involved in that process, um, and that sort of helps us get ahead of a conversation that might happen and, and direct it in, in a way that feels more responsible than what 
alarm journalists can do, which is they take a one line from the paper and it's like, coffee's good. Okay, well, that's the story. Coffee's good. And then next week, oh, coffee's bad. And that's the story. Um, so that's one of the ways we're trying to combat that here at PLOS. I think that's great. Um, yeah, I was going to add is that uh, there are some journals that are actually um, – now, that the target may not just be the public, but in fact, other physicians uh, or other scientists where they um, will have access to podcasts so that the public will have access to podcasts where the investigator may take five minutes and just talk about the findings in his paper. And frankly, uh, there are many, uh, many scientists in, in, uh, that, that will, will just go to that podcast rather than actually read the paper. Yeah, I'd also like to point out that what we're really talking about here is not transparency, but rather clarity and accessibility. Mm -hmm. um, you have to distinguish between those two things, but certainly clarity and accessibility both need to be very high in, in all branches of science. Do you feel like that's what ultimately people are trying to address with transparency, though, is getting more clarity? No. no. Okay, I'm curious no, I think, about the distinction. I think it's, it's just in the process it, so that the result can be trusted. I don't think it's necessarily clarity is part of that, but at least my review of the literature here is that transparency is is can we trust and verify that the decision-making processes that result in a published article um, have given us a, a good approximation of the truth. I understand. All right. Um, so are there other ways to increase uh, trust in, in, in science in the peer review process? I mean, I, I think we might ultimately be up against uh, just a difficult uh, situation where there are so many voices out there. Um, how can we make sure that the trusted voices are the ones that we consider uh, to have integrity are, are the ones that, that, that come to the forefront? Um, do you, uh, Allison, um, so you're involved in a, in a lot of press releases and things like that. Do you feel like um, those are having an impact as far as the, um, the conversation uh, about uh, some of the issues that you and your journals are investigating? I think it does. I mean, to a certain extent, I mean, it's a very difficult, that's an uphill battle to climb. Um, and I think that there are always going to be journalists that want to sort of, you know, there's always going to be the stories that just want sort of the easy answer. And there's no way for us to prevent that happening completely. Um, I think releasing our own press releases is one way to try and stop it from happening. It's one way to kind of control the message a little bit. Um, but can, I, I can't control every single blogger in the world uh, from misinterpreting the results or like over uh, kind of overstating findings of a conclusion. Um, but I think that's it's a really important question. And so I think something that we should be thinking about as publishers is how do we do, how do we control that? And how do we make that more, how do we build more of that trust um, so that people do go to the more trusted resources? Absolutely. And I think that's a good place to leave it. Um, so I want to thank my guests once again. Um, today we looked at how we think transparency and peer review benefits the public. And I think we got it a little more into 
clarity and how, how to communicate um, some of these things to the public because it seems like transparency might not be quite the right question when we're talking about uh, the public. But join us again tomorrow when we ask the question, does transparency address some of the limitations of traditional peer review? And I feel like we've talked around this a lot, but I kind of want to uh, make a conclusion uh, for all of you who are listening and um, just want to remind you about Peer Review Week and peerreviewweek.wordpress.com and the hashtag peerrevwk17 to follow Peer Review Week this year. Um, And so, once again, for my panelists, Tom Lang, Allison Leung, Dr. David Resnick, and Dr. Pedro Ramirez, I'm Michael Casp, and we'll see you next time.